The following program was recorded live on October 14th, 2009. ReachMD XM160 now presents Second Opinion Live with hosts Drs. Matt Bernholtz and Michael Greenberg. Welcome to Second Opinion Live on ReachMD Radio XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. And I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg. We're live, we're here in the studio, and we're looking for your feedback now. On the phone, on the web, and on Twitter. Tweet us. Yes. We're covering hot topics from the field of medicine, talking to the experts you want to hear from. Today we'll talk with a man whose expertise is getting you to volunteer to help patients in need, and I mean you, Michael. Oh, thank you. Stan Brock from the organization Remote Area Medical, which sets up free health camps across the U.S. He'll join us in a bit. And we'll take your calls with him as well. Our number is 888-MD1-REACH. That's 888-631-7322. I'd like to go to a health camp for the summer. In addition, on the show, we're going to analyze the seesawing over new data on an HIV vaccine. Some experts say the new findings are a significant step forward. Others believe the progress is scant at best. More on this coming up. We'll also visit the ReachMD Forum for some new insights into how physicians really feel about their career choice, lifestyle, family time, and more. So that number again, 888-MD1-REACH. Give us a call. Drop your patients now and call us. It's more important. Okay, but first, our regular feature, ReachMD's That's News to Me, where we review curious news headlines from the world of medicine. Most curious. Today, we've got a new angle on the notorious sugar high syndrome in kids, which I probably just coined myself. Now, lots of us in peds think it's a myth to link sugar intake with hyperactivity and behavior issues in kids, but there is some new data suggesting that daily confections or sweets might contribute to violent behavior later in life. Are you kidding me? Because I'm I'm about to become a serial killer for all the candy, (laughs) pops, and chips I consumed as a child and continue continue to consume any second now. I know, guilty as charged. Well, seriously, this was a study published in the British Journal of Psychiatry, and it comes from a team of researchers at Cardiff University in Wales. 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 It was reported to be the first study looking at long-term effects of childhood diet on adult violence patterns. They focused on a cohort of kids born in 1970, studied their behavior at age 10, and they linked it to self-reported violence by the age of 34. And 69% of those violent at the age of 34 ate candy nearly daily as kids. It's me too. I have to say, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are agreeing with, with uh, your background history. So the proposed link that they have here, um, I, think, I guess they're extrapolating that kids who demand candy every day do not learn to delay gratification and will engage in more risk-taking behavior, uh, which they attribute to uh, being linked to violence. And so they're basically... Uh, postulating that it's the way candy is given to parents, basically, or by parents, uh, to control behavior. They think that that's linked to violent behaviors later in life. So it's not just the candy. This is not another Twinkie defense. They're saying that's no. the way the candy is given. Good, thank you, because my candy was given nicely. <laughs> it was gracious. But it just seems like a stretch to me, I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, this is a retrospective study taken from uh, other data. Uh, they, they used as their criteria for establishing violence um, self-reporting. Um, and that's a, a pretty vague term, I would have to say. I mean, if the takeaway here is that small changes early in life might make a notable difference in the long term, so 
less candy equals less violence. I think that that has to be reviewed. I don't, I don't think it's the candy. I think what they're saying here, it's the way the candy was given, the demand. I want it now. And that, you know, that, that translates into adult behavior. I want that now. So here, here's my gun. But where did they come up with that interpretation? I mean, I just find that to be, uh, it's like an extrapolation based on an extrapolation. It's just, it seems like it's a little bit out of left field to me. I agree with you. And that's why it's in the, it's in this section of our show. <laughs> it's like saying coffee causes pancreatic cancer. Oh, wait. No, it actually protects against pancreatic cancer. Oh, wait. wait. Yeah, it causes cancer. I'm waiting for chocolate to be protective against cancer. <laughs> and my wife is waiting for seafood, shrimp, and lobster. Okay. We saw a flurry of news recently touting a new HIV vaccine. It's the subject of this week's poll question. We're asking you, is this a potential breakthrough, or is it just so much hype? Well, research in this area has seen a number of false starts in previous years. But it seems there, there's some genuine optimism in this report. Uh, log on to ReachMD.com backslash poll to go directly to the poll home uh, page. Cast your ballot and see what your peers think. Please vote. And for Chicago, vote often. <laughs> Definitely. So why don't we get into the, the brass tacks of this study? It comes from Thailand. There were 16,000 volunteers in total. And I think uh, of about 8,000 plus who received the vaccine, 51 became infected, compared with about 74 in a matched control group. And that's a decrease of one-third, which does sound pretty significant. And just a little bit more background, the volunteers were men and women ages 18 18 to 30, various levels of HIV risk. It was um, funded by the Thai Ministry of Public Health with U.S. military uh, HIV research program backing, which is interesting. Right. Well, I have a couple questions here for you, Matt, because you're very bright. First of all, why Thailand? And why is this a military study? I mean, maybe you can't answer it, but those things stuck out to me. And second of all, if you know this oh wise one, the, <laughs> the vaccine was a combination of two other HIV component vaccines that failed individually. Yeah. One was a canary pox virus, which contains three HIV proteins for immune recognition, and the other was a virus uh, that contains HIV surface antigen. I, I don't understand why two failed viruses would come together, two failed vaccines would come together and suddenly be a success. You never heard that two wrongs can potentially make a right? Uh, yeah. What, what, <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on this? Well, the, uh, as far as the, the location, I mean, I can only speculate. I don't really know. It sounds like it might be um, that in Thailand they had potentially better access. There's very high prevalence of HIV, as we all know. Uh, cost might have been lower to, to fund and, and actually um, perform the study. And this is a touchy subject. Nobody sues doctors probably in Thailand or sues for results. Yeah, I can't say. My wisdom does not extend that far. But, um, you know, the, the, aspect, the problem that's so controversial with this study is that there were two analyses. Only one was demonstrated first. It was called the modified intent to treat analysis. That was the statistically, uh, statistically significant one where they found a decrease in one-third. Then they follow up, uh, but not reporting um, very quickly, they follow up with this per-protocol analysis, which if you know everything is fine with the modified intent to treat, should be, if anything else, just collaborative. It should be, if everything was done to the letter, this is the results that you would get. And they found that that wasn't significant. So a little bit difficult to comprehend or interpret if your, if your real-world analysis is good and your ideal world is not. Well, I'm going to be an optimist here. I'm going to say, listen, there's been more than 100 HIV vaccine trials since 1987 with zero success. Mm-hmm. At least this showed a tiny bit of success. The modified intent to test analysis is, was statistically significant. Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously that does uncover some doors for cures, maybe. But uh, we don't know exactly how or even if the vaccine works. And, of course, we should put it in perspective. Circumcision decreases the risk by double the results that they got here. So 
think about that. I mean, <laughs> you have to put it all into perspective, don't yep. you? Yeah, I think so. So, hey, what's your reaction? You can share your thoughts with us at reachmd.com slash poll, where you can vote on the ReachMD poll. Please do. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Second Opinion Live on ReachMD XM 160. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, alongside the eminent Dr. Matt Bernholtz, or across <laughs> from him, actually. <laughs> right across. And you can find us online at reachmd.com slash SOL. That's reachmd.com slash SOL. Our number here is 888-MD1-REACH, 888-631-7322 is the number on ReachMD XM160. And if something's on your mind, just give us a call. We'll and talk about it. nothing's on your mind, give us a call anyway. <laughs> Even better. Across the U.S., the need for quality medical care outstrips the capacity of local providers. Remote Area Medical, or RAM for short, is one organization working to meet this demand. RAM helps recruit volunteers in medicine, dentistry, optometry, several other fields to participate in coordinated free healthcare events. Yes, but one of the problems with this is that the current framework for out-of-state practitioner licensing stands in the way of their mission. RAM's founder, Stan Brock, and his organization have been working to change some of these restrictions. They hope this will expand the reach of their work. And today we're thrilled to have Stan on the program with us. He's lived and worked all over the world and has dedicated the past 25 years to providing free health care right here at home in the U.S. He joins us now from Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show, Stan. Well, thank you very much. Glad to be here. Welcome. Uh, Stan, I'd like to start, if we could, first question, with the event you guys held in Los Angeles back in August. Can you give us an idea, give us an idea of uh, RAM's work and its mission? Well, um, you know, Remote Area Medical uh, was originally formed uh, for uh, service uh, overseas, and particularly in an area where I lived for many, many years uh, with the Wapishana Indians on the northern border of Brazil in what used to be uh, the south of uh, British Guiana. And we were 26 days on foot from the nearest doctor and uh, lived there for many years and uh, suffered through numerous uh, uh, serious illnesses and uh, injuries, and uh, so uh, really wanted to bring those doctors a little bit closer than 26 days, uh, which I'm happy to report uh, we've been able to do that, uh, and uh, we have a full-time operation down there. But after starting remote area medical here uh, in the United States back in 1985, uh, we found shortly thereafter that there was a tremendous need here in the United States for what we do, which is to provide uh, free care at selected uh, opportunities. We call them expeditions. And, uh, and services range from uh, full-scale dentistry and vision care. And we make brand new eyeglasses on the spot for the folks and, uh, and various types of uh, general medical uh, uh, treatments and consultations. And uh, all of it's free, of course, and it's all open <clears throat> to the public without any questions asked. But because the wait in line is so long and we're dealing with thousands and thousands of people, um, it's sort of self-regulating in that the people who are there are people that uh, really need to be there. They can't afford to go down the road to see the, their local dentist or, 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 the, uh, or the eye doctor. And uh, But the greatest impediment that we face is that for some extraordinary reason here in the United States, a doctor uh, educated and qualified in one state is not allowed to cross state lines and provide free care uh, to people, uh, the underserved, in another state, uh, except in the state of Tennessee, wh where they changed the law 
uh, to allow that back in 1995. Well, Stan, we're definitely going to get into that. That's, I think, a major crux of the issue for us. But I want to take a step back for a second because you made uh, reference to your organization without having any restrictions or questions asked in the medical care you provide. And I think that's important to highlight for our listeners that, as far as I know, you're the only NGO charity in the U.S. that offers this kind of service. Am I correct on that? Well, um, I wouldn't want to make an entirely sweeping statement uh, like that, but we're we're probably the largest uh, since uh, everybody is a volunteer and there's no cost for any of the services and and, and that we do provide a a large range of services, including, of course, uh, massive dentistry and uh, and the sort of things that a lot of people would shy away from because of the uh, possibility of... uh, of um of uh you know legal action against them uh, through uh, uh some problem with uh, with patients <clears throat> which I might add we've never had well let me break in here we're we're okay with sweeping statements but let me ask you we do it all the time let me ask you a question um uh, where do your volunteers come from how do you get them well um how do they hear about you well we have a very large website uh, ramusa.org and so a lot of our uh, visitors uh, uh, come to us through the website. And, um, but up until um, uh, March of 2008, in fact, the, really the only people that knew who we were uh, were the poor and uh, many thousands of uh, volunteers that have already been with us. And then along came um, CBS News 60 Minutes and uh, broadcast a segment on what we do. And uh, since then, uh, you know, we've had a, a tremendous uh, uh, outpouring of interest from the, from the general public and from the doctors themselves, albeit still have this problem of doctors crossing state lines. Well, when you talk about the poor, I, I looked at, the, at your website and at the videos. Are you talking about the absolutely uh, public aid type poor? Or it seemed to me you're talking a lot about the working poor in America, people who are earning some money, but not enough to really pay the expenses of health care. Oh, yeah, we're talking about exactly that class of people. The, um, sure, we do see uh, the unemployed and, uh, and the homeless, but... But we are seeing large numbers of people that do have jobs and people that do have insurance of some type, but either the copay is too high or, or that their, their insurance doesn't cover dentistry and doesn't cover a, a, a vision care and eyeglasses. And so uh, the, uh, it's all across the board, really, um, other than, of course, the people who are very well off financially and the people who are very well insured and don't need the service. Okay, and, and what about um, the locations in which you are, because I think this is a misconception as well. I mean, we often uh, hear about organizations like yours. We think uh, rural uh, medicine going to places where there is no care for, you know, maybe not 26 days uh, in, in any direction, but perhaps even as much as uh, uh, a couple days drive. What, uh, what would you say um, to, your, to our listeners about the audience or the people that, uh, that you are trying to uh, outlet this care to because obviously it's a bigger population than than many people would think, and you're going into much more urban centers than many people would think. Is that right? Well, yes. Now, um, our, up to now, our operations have largely been in uh, in smaller uh, towns, uh, smaller cities um, of several hundreds of thousands of people, and of course in the rural areas. Um, 
we were recently in August uh, in uh, downtown Los Angeles at the, at the Forum in Inglewood. And um, we've, we've been in New Orleans on, on several occasions as well. So, um, uh, but essentially, uh, up until this point, um, uh, we've been in mainly rural areas and, 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 and the smaller towns. But we, we now have requests for our services from all across the country, from every major metropolitan area, New York, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Dallas, uh, but again, the impediment uh, against us uh, going to those places, as we found when we went to Los Angeles, is that um, we are stuck with only being able to utilize uh, medical practitioners who are licensed in that particular state. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, why do you think states so regulate this? We were discussing it earlier, Matt and myself, and wondering if they, the states just didn't think that they would need temporary licenses, or are they really just being protective? What's, what's your hit on this? Oh, I think, I, you know, I've done 581 of these uh, special operations, so, uh, and I've heard all kinds of things like, um, uh, well, they're taking business away from us, which, of course, we're not because these people can't afford to go to their offices. And, um, uh, and well, I think that um, it, it, it's largely a case of, uh, of turf protection and, uh, and, 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 and just being against uh, the policy of, uh, of, uh, of these boards, whether it's the Board of Medicine or the Board of Dentistry or the Board of Optometry, just not wanting people to come in on their turf from outside the state. Even on a temporary basis, such as Even with a on relief? a temporary basis. We, we, we find great resistance to the idea, as I say, what it took in Tennessee in 1995 was legislative action, uh, and um, it took two years, I believe, to pass. But when it did pass, it passed on a unanimous basis. And, uh, and then there was House Concurrent Resolution 69, which was uh, uh, proposed by... Uh, Congressman John J. Duncan Jr. Uh, in, uh, in, in Congress uh, to broaden it on a, on a nationwide basis. But uh, uh, then you're starting to get into, as we found, that you, you know, the, uh, the state's rights issue. Well, let me, uh, call me stupid, but don't these states realize that a lot of these people, uh, by you coming in, you're going to save the state money? Because these are people who, if they're really sick, are going to be clogging up the emergency rooms. They're not going to be paying the extra copays. They're not going to be paying for the system, but taking care. And you're offering it for free, uh, helping the state out. I mean, Oh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, the care that we provided in Los Angeles uh, just, sev just several weeks ago amounted to um, uh, 6,344 patients uh, that we saw uh, and around about $3 million in, in, in free care. Um, but uh, I turned away thousands of people. I mean, we gave, away, we gave out 1,600 numbers the first day. We were only able to see 700 people. And the reason for that was, although I had set up 100 uh, dental chairs, and 20 lanes of eye examination equipment, and numerous stations for, for, for medical practitioners, uh, the best they could do uh, were about 25 uh, dentists and uh, four or five optometrists and uh, a dozen or so uh, physicians. And those people that did turn out, 
Uh, you know, I give absolutely high marks. They were wonderful people. They were there for the right reasons. There just wasn't enough of them. And so we were turning away thousands of people because we were denied uh, the request to bring in uh, doctors and dentists from outside the state. In fact, one um, official with the health department in California, uh, Ms. Candace Cohen, said, we don't want doctors here from places like Texas and, uh, and Alaska or somewhere else. We have very high standards in California. Well, I'm sure they have very high standards in California. But um, what would happen if Miss Candace Cohen found herself with a serious accident in downtown Dallas? She'd fly back to California. would be relying on some marvelous doctor to save her life in Dallas. She would have to find somebody who trained in California. Naturally. And have a private jet waiting. But let's not underscore your involvement in helping reform these laws. I mean, you, you're headquartered in Tennessee. You personally uh, were instrumental in getting the laws changed there. You're trying to do this on a more national scope. What are you trying to do now? I mean, what are, what are, you, what are your efforts now, and what do you think it's going to take to succeed on that scope? Well, I, I, I think, quite frankly, that it's, that it's going to take some type of federal uh, uh, legislation uh, to allow doctors uh, to cross state lines, uh, because I'd like to see this happen uh, in, in, in my lifetime, uh, and and the, pros- the, the prospect of trying to get 49 other, other states to, uh, uh, to come up to uh, the, the Tennessee uh, line is, 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 I think, highly unlikely. And so in the meantime, you've got 47, 49 million people, about the same number of people that we had in Britain at the height of World War II in 1944, when they decided that they needed to do something about it, which they did at that time. And um, so I think that perhaps it's time to do something about it now in this country, the world's richest country, uh, for the 47, 49 million people that don't have access to the system. We do have a question here for you that's coming. We have a question coming in by email. And by the way, you can email us here at Second Opinion Alive at uh, sol at reachmd.com. Dr. Tony writes to us from Baltimore today. He'd like to know from you, how can individual practitioners help support efforts like those of RAM to make licensing easier across state lines? What can our listeners do to help you? Oh, um, please get in touch with their their congressional... um uh, people in, in, in their state. Um, and we would be very, very happy to come to their state if their state would allow it. Um, uh, so it, it, it's going to take, I think, uh, the voice of the public uh, to, uh, to change this. And um, we're not taking any political sides whatsoever in the current debate about the health care issue. All we're concerned about are the hundreds of thousands of patients that we've dealt with over the last uh, uh, 20 years or so um, that are desperate for the care. And when you see people who are prepared to stand out there in the rain and the snow uh, for hours and hours and hours, uh, 15, 20 hours, uh, waiting for something that they ought to be able to get as part of uh, their rights uh, in this or any country, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very disheartening. It's wonderful to see these people after they've got the care from these wonderful volunteers hugging the doctor, hugging the dentist, and saying, gosh, you've changed my life. Well, thank you for that. And, and Stan, th- thanks for joining us on the show. We'll see how much we can have our listeners help you. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you.
Stan Brock is the founder of Remote Area Medical. That's You can find out more about him at RAMUSA, R-A-M-U-S-A.org. Michael, I've just got to get this in because we know, based on talking to him, how non-self-deferential uh, Stan Brock is. But when we talk about his personal mission, this is a guy who had to shrug off, among other things, malaria and then leishmaniasis while living abroad. He had no meds out there. And his 26 it, days walked to a doctor. Days. And as he put it, you know, he just had to deal with it. And talk about getting a perspective on what it's like enduring illness of a severe or chronic variety with no support. And if you look at his website and watch the video, he's the guy in the front lines. He's opening the gates, handing out numbers. He's working. He's not behind a desk. That's amazing. It's amazing stuff. All right, on to the ReachMD Forum, Matt. Today we have an extended version of the forum with a great topic. This comes from an article in Physicians Practice Magazine titled The Great American Physician Survey. <laughs> and what was the survey about? Tell us. Well, it was uh, Physicians Practice. Um, they polled 1,600 docs about their outlook on a range of issues uh, from work to politics to lifestyle and family. And the results, well, when all was said and done, physicians are, for the most part, drumroll please, content. There's a fair share of uh, complaints from, from these respondents, but... You know, and we can all relate to them, but the bigger picture here is that it's far more optimistic than we're often led to believe. Well, that's not my experience. I sit in the doctor's lunchroom, I sit in the doctor's lounge, and all I hear is the grousing. It's like doctors are buying lottery tickets hoping they can <laughs> win a couple million dollars and retire. That's, that's, that's not my experience. Well, I'm, I'm banking on a winner for me. Um, but let's get into some of the logistics of this, of this uh, survey. So they had a pretty diverse sample size. Um, Age-wise, there were 16% under 35. I think 23% were from 36 to 45, 30% 40 to 46 to 55, and 21% um, uh, over that, or I think 31% over that. Um, as far as the um, as the the demographics go, 34% were partners or co-owners of the practice, and then it kind of spreads out evenly between those who are employed in private practice, employed at hospitals, other institutions. Um, so that's that's kind of how it lays out. So we have a good spread. But I think that we should try to make you a survey respondent here. Why don't we put you to the test? Well, I'm, a great, I'm a, a great American physician. <laughs> do you mind being a guinea pig for no, us and take one for the go, team? Go ahead. All right, here's some of the questions. I like being a physician. You want me to answer it? Do you, want, do you strongly agree, strongly disagree? I or love it. I strongly agree. But I'm willing to bet that the answers were pretty negative. Actually, 83% agreed or strongly agreed. All right. Only 2% strongly disagreed. That's interesting. Given the chance to go back and pick another career, you would what? Would you stay? Would be you a go? rock star. <laughs> Absolutely. Be a one-hit wonder? Or? <laughs> I, yeah, that's the thing. I would be, uh, no, uh, if I were a rock star, I'd be afraid of being a one-hit wonder. So, no, absolutely. I, I couldn't choose anything more, more rewarding than being a physician. How about, yeah. the, how about the average people? What does it come say? out to? 60% also agreed with you they would stay. Wow. So that was pretty good. And those who uh, weren't as content, they wouldn't necessarily move on to another career. Uh, work hours. Uh, in, a t in a typical week, you work how many hours a week, would you say? 40 plus, about 40. And you're a dermatologist, so there's a slightly mm -hmm. different bent on it. Um, less than 4%, though, actually worked more than 80 hours per week, and about half worked less than 50 hours. So you're actually right in the, in the middle of the road. How about uh, family time? You eat dinner with uh, spouse and minor children, how often? Well, I don't have any minor children living at home. So I have to say when I was younger, I would, I would eat with my minor children two to three times a week on weeknights. Okay. That sounds about right. But this is actually a little surprising. 50% uh, of the respondents eat uh, dinner with their families and or spouses uh, and spouses five plus nights a week. So it's far more optimistic than I think the general image of a uh, Dr. House. How about um, 
not enough time for personal life. Do you agree with that? No, and I think that that's a, that's a choice that you have to make. I make enough time for my personal life by getting up and working out at 4.30 in the morning, but that's my own personal choice. You have to make it, and uh, I think a lot of doctors don't. So I'm willing to say that they don't, but I do. Well, 66%, two-thirds agreed uh, with that with very strongly that they don't have enough time for their personal life. And in fact, a third don't even exercise at all. Oh, my God. At all. And you were like start, fit as a fiddle. Start exercising, everybody. Get up early. It makes you feel much better. I've never met a dermatologist who isn't extremely fit. I'm just going to put it out there. How about not enough time for your own health? This is a pretty good one. All right. I am 60 years old. Mm-hmm. I have enough time for my personal health. But when I was younger, I didn't. It really takes to having... To, to, until you have one medical incident in mm. your life when you get your own doctor. So I would say younger guys, no. Older guys, yes. What's it across the board? What's the number? Across the board, 37% don't even have a primary care practitioner. Shame on you guys. Shame on you. Get, but, get a doctor. Yeah, get a doctor. But it probably it's probably exactly what you're saying. It's age stratified. I mean, people at the younger ages, I myself included, totally invulnerable and don't really understand our, our limitations on that front. Um, well, of course, they were also asked, what should reform looked like, uh, look like? I mean, that's a, a broad question, but what are your thoughts on that? It should be. I want it to work for everybody. I want everybody to be happy. I'm Pollyanna. You are pro-reform in that sense. I'm yeah. pro-reform. We need to reform some stuff. But yeah. you know what's interesting? These numbers kind of reflect the general population, I think. There's a lot of guys who are not doctors who are home less than we are. They're in businesses, and they, they work more hours than we do. So it kind of says that we're, we're right on the mark, and I'm, I'm really surprised that many doctors are happy. It's good news to me. That's good news to me, too. Let's keep them happy. Everybody out there, but start working out, please, and get your own doctors. <laughs> Words to live by. Or go to RAM. Go to RAM things, and they'll take care of you. And that's going to wrap things up for us on Second Opinion Live. We've got some candy to eat, and uh, hopefully not with violence this time. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. And uh, for more about ReachMD on XM160, visit our website at reachmd.com slash SOL. Feel free to give us a shout on Twitter, tweet, tweet, online, and on Facebook. Go to the, go to the RAM website, don't eat any candy, and start working out. Everybody, please, thank you for joining us on ReachMD.